This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. Unplug your game. Buy board games. Play board games. Food and drink. Fun. And friends. Welcome to Hockey Press Pass, presented by Instat Hockey. Our guest today is Aaron Ward, who played more than 800 games in the NHL and won Stanley Cups with Detroit and Carolina, went on to become an analyst at TSN, and is currently with the tracking and analytics company SMT and a regular commentator on NHL programs. Aaron, how are you doing? And thank you so much for doing this today, bud. I'm fantastic, and thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, the reason I wanted to do this, and I appreciate you accepting the invitation, is that this is a podcast about hockey media and hockey careers, and uh, you had lost a job at TSN, and we're going to go through all that, and I, really, I just can't thank you enough. I, I, I do just want to start off by just, you know, asking, is, is this, are you comfortable? We're talking about your, um, you had a severe gambling issue problem and i just want to make sure you're comfortable talking about this and that and i also ask you what you hope people take away from your story so absolutely comfortable talking about it uh i've been in the process of working with a therapist for six years uh i entered myself in back in 2015 in the behavioral science program that the nhl and the nhlpa set up um and i've been out uh, working at it for a very long time um what i have learned is that through the process of working to get better, when you have a level of transparency about your situation, people both either learn to have empathy for what you've gone through, but they also seem to emerge with their own stories. And uh, when you tell your story as someone who, you know, whether they liked you or they didn't like you, when you start to have something that's relatable, right? The struggles, like addiction is everywhere. I had a father who was an alcoholic. I, I had a severe gambling addiction. Um, then their stories start to come out. And it's amazing in light of kind of where the world has gone, not just hockey, uh, media. You look at, at Bell Media with Bell Let's Talk, and people have a platform on a given day, and they, they get an opportunity to tell their stories. When you tell your story, you find that so many people relate to it, and they reach out to you. And I can tell you to this day, I've got five or six guys I've never met in my life that listen to me talk on, on, on radio about my addiction and the subsequent problems caused from it. And uh, some of these guys have actually gone down the path of improving. That's great. And I also know that you, you know, you've mentioned former NHL players who you have found uh, comfort in their stories, even guys that, like I believe Brian McGratton was one who like you didn't even know. Uh, and that's something that's helped you as well. Yeah, to listen to guys, I mean, especially nowadays, right? We, we have so many guys around the National Hockey League, both current. I mean, if you look at Jonathan Drouin, if you look at Carey Price, you look at guys that are willing to just accept the fact that there will be a level of judgment, but the ultimate goal is to fix yourself. And then you look at past guys, both from the negativity, right? So Todd Ewan, who committed suicide, Monador, all these guys, whatever their struggles are, whether they be uh, addiction-related or, or whatever mental health-related, you hope that what happened to them would would tell a story that you could learn from yourself. So yes, I from afar over time have kind of watched things go down and, and actually it's kind of what pushed me to the point of beyond an experience and I'll, I'll share it. 
my final uh, wager was on the Seattle um, New England Patriots Super Bowl. And if you remember, that was the goal line play where Seattle decided instead of handing off to Marshawn Lynch, they're going to go for a pass. I had just put stupid money on this. And I was basically resigned to losing $50,000 on this one play. It was one play going to end it all for me. And then the, the interception happens. And I experienced that euphoria of, of having one, but I also started to realize just in that moment that I had to take a hard look at that, at myself and put aside the number of times that people who cared about me, loved me, whether it be my agent, Larry Kelly, who tried three or four times to have an intervention, family tried, um, and teammates tried. Inevitably, as a, as a hockey player, as an athlete, you condition yourself to be invincible. You get that mentality that you don't get to where you're at without being in full control of every capacity of your life. You'd never want to acknowledge that weakness. And that was actually the moment. That was my final wager of my life where I decided, oh, I need to I need to look at this. And it took me a while. Like that happened, I think it would have been late January, February. And it took me till July to to like the hockey season ended. Chicago, Tampa, Stanley Cup ended. And I finally got to the point where I actually reached out and got help. Uh, we will also get to the event, the incident that, that led to the suspension uh, at TSN and everything that followed. But I do want to try to get a handle um, on the addiction. Uh, we spoke briefly earlier today. This started when you were like in high school. I, I you know, I guess people, this, and by the way, I think I'll ask you a lot of dumb questions, a lot of ignorant questions. So, so forgive me in advance. And I appreciate you being patient with me too, Aaron. But I just assume that, yeah, this is a guy who made a lot of coin and then started being dumb. But for you, but for you, dumb with the bets, with the extravagant bets. No, it's, it's, it's actually, that's an accurate, I mean, okay. again, it's, Actually, it wasn't in high school, so I went to college early. College, so but, I, but but it was born from early your bets with, with college and football. football. Yeah, so I was. I remember the day that I, I started the, the, the notion of gambling came about. I was sitting in there on a Sunday. We just played a series against uh, Bowling Green, and I was getting treatment in the football building. There was a couple football players getting treated, and we were discussing gambling. And they talked about how easy it is to do it. We all lived in dorms, and there was people in the dorms that took bets, and so I actually placed a bet with just a friendly wager with one of the football players on a, on an NFL game that day. I ended up winning it, and it was the first titillating feeling of, oh, this is this is something very similar to playing a sport, and that's how it started to evolve. And I would tell you that it, it grew with boredom in the American Hockey League living in a small town, but actually it's probably a good thing. And then finally, as you speak of, when you start to make that that amount of money, there's a weird drive that that no matter how much you're wagering, it's never enough because it's there's a there's a it's almost like a, a drug response. Like there's a high to gambling, right? And it's there's all kinds of reactions depending on what what capacity of your life you're in. So in season, it was so much fun to try and win massive amount of, a massive amount of money because somehow I got a high off that. Later, I retired what it became for me was my connection to the past of being involved in sport and part of a game. It, it put me back in that competitive place that I honestly, that was the hardest thing coming out of being a professional athlete was I didn't know how to cope with the lack of a guy sitting beside me. I could tell him about my day and he could, he could relate to what I was going through. 
right? It's not like necessarily athletes have the toughest of lives, but we have different uh, adversity, the best way to put it. We, we encounter different things that, that only we can relate to on a daily basis. And when you step out of that locker room and you're, you're thrust into a world of, I would call, normalcy, you kind of look at again to try to grab onto something that brings you back to that euphoric state of, of being an athlete. And, and it kind of played out on, on a level where I really did absolutely spiral out of, out of control um, through my retirement years up till 2015, where I was, I mean, the amount of money I was playing, I, I couldn't cash those checks. Like I was, I was playing the money and knowing that inevitably if I lost all bets all that weekend, there was no way I could pay. I want to, touch on this about what was going on during your NHL career, a very strong yes. NHL career with two, two championships. When you were in the NHL, did you ever... Three. Ooh. <laughs> two at Detroit and one with... Two at Detroit. Two at Detroit. Yeah. Yes. Bad job. Let me re... I'll have to redo my opening. Um, when you were in the NHL, did you bet on hockey? No, never. Uh, so, my, so here's the, I know you've, I, I believe you, I know you, is, you've answered that before, but again, I'm thinking in, in my ignorance, Aaron, that if, if, if a bet is made in part by thinking that we know something, right? I got a hunch about this game, the Michigan state game, whatever it might be. Uh, I'm thinking that you know more about your team. I was a PR director with the Islanders. I know who might be a late scratch, right? Things like that. But you were able to separate that because, I mean, you knew, obviously, that would be the I'll ultimate you, sin. I'll give you a, um, so my father was a Crown Prosecutor Attorney in Canada. He, he, for a very long time, was a high-ranking official. I had a great fear of the law. Um, I also understood, uh, my father talked to me for a long, very long time about the sanctity of the game um, and on all facets, right? Um, I knew about P. Rose, right? I, I, I had known about the ramifications of making a decision like that. And here's the truth. And I'll say it. I, I, I joke about it, but it's a serious thing. Having played the game, I look at it differently. I couldn't tell you if there's a guy not feeling well that day. I couldn't tell you in such a team sport that a guy is not having trouble at home or what, whether the opponent, the opponent got in late or whatever's going on. There's so many factors involved with, with projecting out what a hockey game score would be i always tell people i don't even know how people gamble in hockey it's 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 a loss for me football they put out your injuries they put out the weather they put there were so many components to me that that were enticing i love football i love watching football i look i watch it differently now i'm basically a fan of the university of michigan could care less about the nfl anymore because i don't bet on it really don't follow much other football because i don't bet on it so uh, yeah, I can I can say unequivocally I never gambled on hockey and it never was ever something that even came close to being something I would consider. Not, you don't have to put a number on it, but could you give some sort of framing as to how much you lost over time? Oh, man. Um, whether I, I whether it be a percentage of whatever you made in the NHL or... I mean, but, well, but, but we're talking substantial, obviously. The difficult part was over the course of my NHL career, I was relatively good at gambling. I mean, the, the reason why casinos and, and, and bookies are in, in business is because generally they win. I mean, majority, they, they wouldn't be in existence. I did well. Um, in fact, uh, part of 
the fun of being in the National Hockey League and being able to bet certain amounts is once it came back to you, you could burn it on great dinners, right? You go on a, on a road trip and you can tell the guys, hey, I'm going to pick this one up or I'm going to buy whatever it is. Uh, so generally in a weekend, when I was playing in the National Hockey League, again, so there was like noon games, I'd probably play $10,000 on a couple games and then in the afternoon, I played $10,000 cumulative on, on the afternoon. And so, but if you start to add those things up, 10 at noon, 10 in the afternoon, 10 at night's 30, you go into, you go into Sunday. If you're up, you're increasing your wager. If you're down, you're likely chasing it. So it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a snowball effect. So it's, okay. like I said, it, you never recognize in the moment how out of control you are, even though you can convince yourself totally out of control totally in control i told myself i'm not a i'm not an addicted gambler because i only gamble on football football starts in last week of august generally ends in february the rest of the year don't touch it don't think about it i was kidding myself because i'm still gambling massive amounts over that time i think i might have mentioned this to you uh, by the way before all this happened when we knew each other like 10 8 10 years ago or so but and I don't even know if you were aware, but I was thinking about this today and I wanted to ask you. In the summer of 2006, you were an unrestricted free agent. You wound up signing with the Rangers, I believe, for three years. I was the PR director for the Islanders. Neil Smith was the general manager. He, it, only, it was a brief stay, unfortunately, for Neil, but I worked very closely with him. And he was kind of teaching me a lesson from his Ranger days that if you want to get free agents, and they, you know, he got some pretty good uh, players. He wound up getting Brendan Witt, and he got some yeah. other, other other players. But I I know he was trying to sign you. Like I literally saw the thing go through the facts, and what Neil would say to me, and I love him for this. He would be like, "The way free agency works, Chris, is uh, the agent. You, you know, you tell him your number. The agent." tells you his number and then you throw more number on that because if you want the guy you just keep you know you just in other words it's money you go as high as you can but i was thinking about that today so another one of these questions that are kind of out of nowhere but when you are a free agent for example in 2006 are you at all factoring in i know you're thinking home family etc but are you at all factoring in this gambling thing that's a part of your life too when you're looking at making millions of dollars on a three-year contract? Uh, not during my hockey career, truth be told. So I remember exactly the, the instance, and, and I, I can tell you that I blame Matt Cullen for not being a New York Islander because, in fact, and maybe this is why Neil Smith didn't last that long, but Neil is my highest offer to the Islanders. That was the most money I had in tow were the Islanders, Blackhawks, Rangers and I think one other team and, and we waited till I think the day the third day of free agency and I was considering the Islanders and then Matt Cullen said I've got to deal with I've got to deal with the Rangers come play with me and and so I went and played in, in the Rangers and we all know how that ended I was a square peg in a circular hole in, in New York and was out of there after five months and I, I found myself a fit in Boston amazing uh, you understand my question, right? Like uh, I understand your question, yeah. so I'll go back and answer. But but, but it doesn't. It, it, you're not sitting there going, "Oh, good, I stand to make a lot of money now, and that gives me the ability to to." I would more. separate. So I'd say this, and this here's an admission. The only regret I have about what effect gambling had on my my career was not. I never made a decision, a financial decision, based on gambling. And I would tell you that it never came into into account. Uh, during free agency or at any time. 
I would tell you that my focus in the game definitely lacked in football season. And 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 I'm, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish I'd done a lot of things over my career. I wish I would have been on that bike far more than I ever was. Because now I realize, you know, until Laviolette got there and told me, play lighter, you'll play better, turns out the guy knew what he was talking about. Had I known that having full focus on a game on an October evening while I'm looking around and I can see all those football scores posted in the arena, and I'm thinking, what was my line? There's no chance I'm playing my best as an athlete. Well, I'm thinking, did I I buy down the half points? Because right now... Back in the day, Rams were, you know, blistering everybody with, with Warner at quarterback and Holt at, at, at wide receiver. That's, I think the fact that I can tell you about those moments tells you where was my head, where was my focus. I wasn't fully invested. And, and that actually is probably the main theme of my life uh, as a result of gambling, that nothing in my life until I finally kicked the habit of gambling did I finally realize what full investment was both in, in family, in myself, in, in what I was doing, my career, all those things. Wow. Um, Chris Terrian, a couple of months ago, uh, uh, Chris uh, is alcoholic and, and he goes around and he speaks to people. And I saw a clip that an AHL team and, and he agreed to uh, share and it made my knees drop. I was a Flyers intern and knew Chris a little bit through the media too. And the story that he told was that he was in a game and he had the shakes and it got worse and worse. And in the second intermission, he took his skates off. He left the arena, an NHL game, went to his car, had a swig or two of something in a bottle, went back and played a good third period. I, I It just, wow, like that, that really hit home, right? So my question to you is, you know, I don't know if you had a moment like that where it was very vivid, maybe in the middle of a game, a bad play, but how bad did it get for you uh, in terms of that distraction level that you just spoke about? So uh, clearly we didn't have smartphones back in our day. And I had devised a way, I had these like these pager type things that were just basically, I would say late 90s, early 2000s where we would come in from a game, I mean, from a, from a period, from intermission, and my first thing I would do was not get a Gatorade, go to the bathroom, whatever it was. It would beeline to the back where the changing room was, and I had the game saved, and I would check the score. So I would have both the, the mechanism in my hand and my play sheet in my other, and I'm playing for Scotty Bowman. If you could only imagine if the man walked back to the back room at that time and saw me doing what I was doing, uh, it wouldn't bode well for me. My, again, my focus, my investment was in something that should not be invested in, right? The gambling is no part of my life now, and it's massive regret that that's the road I went down. But yeah, it 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 took away it took away from my career. It, I don't have something like, like Chris is actually an Ottawa guy. I played with him in the Spangler Cup back in '92. Uh, I know him pretty well. I don't doubt that. And, and I would tell you that other people have stories to tell about themselves that are very similar to what Chris is, is telling you and to what maybe I'm going through. Um, the worst thing that could happen on a hockey team is I'm not the only gambler. There's like five or six guys, and there's a collaborative group, almost like a, you know, you sit together and you, you compare your plays and, and someone gives you advice. Craziness. But, yeah, I had these moments. I don't ever remember leaving a game actively, right? It only was between periods, but... I was too focused on, on what the lines were and what teams were doing. And, 
And honestly, trying to... Okay, well, I'll give you one. I'm 100% sure that based on the timing of a game, I placed bets while the game was going on. Wait, but I would have had to be in the locker room in intermission. So I would have gone back and I would have texted someone to make a play, especially if I had lost something and needed to catch up. Wow. And that's almost always NFL and college football. Well, it was only, it was only of course. So I would, it'd be interesting. It would be interesting uh, test for me to go back and look at my career during the time that I was gambling and see how effective I was from February, uh, from September to February versus February on. And Saturday and Sunday games. Yep, Saturday and Sunday games. Well, listen, it didn't end at Saturday and Sunday games because there was still a Thursday game. Uh, Mac played on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and Friday there's usually like a, a game in the in the in the Big Sky or the Big West. Like I said, and, <laughs> and out of control. So eight hundred and sixty something games, three Stanley Cups, and very early draft pick, fifth overall or something like that. Overall, that was the uh, Lindros draft. And do you and you you, I mean, and you had this great career, very good career. So, do you think about what the limit would have been if this wasn't part of your life, if gambling wasn't part of your life? I think you don't really actually sit down and f reflect on your career till you're completely out of it. Um, what role? I mean, I mean could you have, could you have been a Hall of Famer? No, I would. So here's the truth: I I was drafted. I was a certain type of player at the University of Michigan. When I got to Detroit, that team, that situation dictated a need for a certain guy. I gravitated away from being a, a puck mover or a scorer. I played power play in college, and I bulked up to be the, the counter to the power forward. Scott, like It took me that long to make the team in Detroit because Scotty once told me at 224 pounds, I was too small to play defense in the league against the third and fourth lines, and I had to go down to the minors and, and – that's the craziness, but that was the game back then. Uh, I fulfilled a role like that, and I would tell you the only year where I feel satisfied with who I was as a hockey player was 2006. I was not behind Hall of Famers. I was playing for Pe Peter Laviolette. He was the first coach that sat there and told you, no matter who you are, one through six, you've got to fulfill the same role. And we were expected to play offensive, and all of a sudden – that, that level of confidence that emerged with playing for this man, that's the reason why I got a, a free agent contract, like I did in New York. That's how I was able to stay and, and position myself in Boston. That was the most fulfilling year. I got six I had six goals, 20-something points, uh, and we won a Stanley Cup, and I played you know, major minutes with Francis Caberlet and had every opportunity – presented to me and I, and I embraced it. And I, I think I succeeded on, on those, those, uh, those opportunities. Very good. Very well put. So I do want to talk about October 9th, 2015. Does it go without saying that that's like a low point for lack of a better term or. It, it was, uh, it was a rapid descent to my lowest place. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, as we talked about earlier, I'd gone to get help in July and the truth about uh, therapy is that you can go to therapy for one thing, but once you get there, you realize there's four or five other things you got to contend with. You got to get it past. And so, gambling was one. Listen, gambling is is almost a theme for my life. 
I gambled with finances. I gambled with my family. I gambled with my career. I, I gambled. I was the type of person that lived on the edge, not crazy. I didn't, not extreme sports, just decision-making, impulsive. Um, so when it came down to it, October, two, uh, October 2015, uh, I had come home from TSN. I had been working a uh, Toronto game. I got home, and inevitably, the evidence was there, sitting on a computer, where it basically laid out everything that would tell you that, you know, I, I had been lying about a million things in my life, tons, you know, and it goes back to the gambling on family, gambling on, on, on finances, gambling on everything. It was all sitting right there. So you couldn't deny it. What inevitably happened in, in the moment of the emotion is that there was a struggle over a computer, right? And so the headline that reads, uh, I was arrested for domestic abuse. The truth was, Assault, was, assault, assault, and interfering with emergency communications. So the interfering with the, with a nine one one was uh, in the emotion of the moment. Even though everybody know now knows nowadays that everything goes up to the cloud, as as the evidence is sitting on a computer, I picked the computer up and walked it out the front door. There was a struggle over the computer, and so when nine one one heard "let go." The assumption was it was a physical confrontation, not someone saying, leave the computer here. So I basically walked out, smashed that computer on a driveway and attempted to leave the premises. I was arrested that day about one o'clock on uh, a Friday and I spent the weekend in jail. And uh, I would tell you that, um, like I said, I, I I always want to try and describe this with a level of empathy for everybody involved, for, for not just the people who went through it with me, my family, um, my friends. I also want to pay respect to, I understand the gravity of, of the, the term and the label domestic abuse. Uh, spent the weekend in jail, took a while for this to sort out. Um, and eventually the DA in an election year, come February, dismissed the charges and not only dismissed the charges because they realized there was no case here. They expunged the entire record. The problem with this though is, and I will own everything that happened in October. I own, I own that situation. The problem is when that October headline that you just read gets put out there, the sensationalism of, of, of that headline will always stick with everybody. I am forever known as a spousal abuser. no, None of my children got to go on play dates without someone Googling and, and, and realizing that Aaron Ward has the first thing that pops up on Google. There's never an explanation that comes back up. And if there is, it's nowhere near as interesting as, as the original incident. And so that, that is the struggle. So the 2015, although on social media, I deal with people who term me a you know a wife beater or a domestic abuser on a weekly basis still in 2021 you have to get to the point from a personal standpoint of realizing you just need to move on even though you can't even turn this baggage this is a tattoo you wear it for the rest of your life baggage you can put down and walk away for a bit and then carry on again if, if i can sit in front and and anybody takes any of this i fully own my role in what happened on october 2015. i i am guilty in the moment of of an emotional response to being caught right for for all for for the, the gambling nature of, of my personality uh since then six years of therapy 
uh, I would tell you that no longer that person, very happy with who I am. I mean, even now in 2001, I tell you, I didn't even like the guy three years out in therapy in 2018 of having worked on it. But, you know, weekly visits, uh, help again from the National Hockey League and the Behavioral Science Program. Um, I'm to a place of where I'm at right now. I'm transparent about just about everything from gambling to other events in my life that it took this therapy to really get me to a place of talking about. What we, the last one on this is besides the money lost in bets, what would you say was like the other costs to your uh, gambling? Family. But uh, can you define that? Family, well, so I'm no longer married. Your, your kids forever will never never really trust you. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't say family. I would say family and friends. There's depends on how you look at this. There's a positive and a negative to running headfirst on the wall. The negative is what you will carry for the rest of your life. The positive is there's almost a purging effect to your life in these moments because people are very quick to jump ship. And the truth is you realize when you're trying to look around and pick up the pieces, you get to actually see who's still around you. And you get to see the value of the relationships you forged with the right people and who you realize now are just simply acquaintances. And so it, it gave me a level of perspective on why I was here and what I really want now. And, and now I'm very clear. I have great friendships still with people in media. I have even closer friendships with, with people who I, you know, I've known forever. And, and there's a good number that have gone on their way. And here's the truth. I understand. I think it's, I think it's the right decision. If, if you're not comfortable with, with me or who I am, you do have the right to just move on. And it's been, again, it's, there's a cleansing component to, to catastrophe. So not to put a positive spin on it, but there is a positive outlook to, I finally got to the point of, I did see rock bottom. I knew I couldn't go any further down. And as I was working my way back up, I started to see some positivity from both relationships and, and, and friends and how I was working, uh, what my character was built on now. And I mean, you name it, a lot has, has, has uh, progressed on. More Hockey Press Pass with Aaron Ward and Chris Botta next. Hey guys, it's producer Pat, and I want to tell you about Instat Hockey. Instat Hockey offers the largest statistical data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by coaches, scouts, players, and of course, media personnel at every level of the game, there is no better choice than Instat to help in the evaluation of games and individual players. The Instat Hockey platform saves the user hours of time watching game film. Team and player statistics are pre-cut into separate playlists, including players' individual shifts, and all video clips can be edited, shared, and downloaded by the user. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more info. Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. Games for sale and games for play. Food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. Bring the magic of phones down, eyes up, tabletop board games to your family. Their staff will help you find the right board game for you. From card and party games to games for families to strategy games, we have it all. Get off your screens and unplug your game for a night your family will remember. Looking for groups to join? Our Magic, The Gathering, Dungeons & Dragons, or Warhammer communities are welcoming for all. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. 
Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game. I know Bob McKenzie is one of the people who, from early on, was consistently available and a, a great friend. Can you give some uh, talk about either Bob or and maybe some additional people who we might know uh, who were those good friends to you and had continued so, to be? Yeah. So I would tell you that my my foray into media, I got to TSN and. I'm a, if you knew me before, I think I can talk to anybody. I think I can find something that I can relate to uh, involving you, somebody else. And I got to TSN and I immediately gravitated towards Bob McKenzie, almost in a father-like manner. He might be saddened to hear that, but I, I, I idolized him on so many levels because he was willing in his position to teach me the job of being a reputable broadcaster. I did the, the lockout, and he taught me about what I should and should not do, what I can and cannot say. He taught me the whole inner workings of how to get information from people. And Bob and I formed a bond. Bob has two sons. Bob doesn't need any more on his plate. So when um, 2015 happened, Bob McKenzie called me every single Wednesday for almost two and a half years to check on me, even in the summer. So he was on vacation. He would check on me. And since then, clearly things, he doesn't have to still call me, but we have, I, I can pick up the phone and talk to him. Example, Ray Ferraro, another guy. Ray is salt of the earth. Uh, moment I got out of it, checked on me if I was all right, no judgment, let me in my time come to him, have conversation. And the amazing part is my relationship with Ray, even though we don't, we're not present with each other, we, we don't end up in the same building, we're doing different things. We have these moments between each other, between us that are like very theoretical discussions. We, we talk a lot about kind of where we've evolved into, what we've evolved into and, and where I am, where he's at. Uh, I would tell you that most people, James Duffy, Darren Drager, everybody good. But again, the difficulty is in, in a world that sees the headline, um, the thing I love most was being their teammates, right? I went from being a hockey player and realizing I could replace being a hockey player with having teammates on a panel and I loved every moment of it and I still love TV. I unfortunately lost those two because again, it's, it's, it's a difficulty to substantiate to a, to a viewing audience who doesn't know the full story, exactly why it is this person might've returned. What is life like for you now in terms of relationships and, and your children and, uh, and, and everything else? And obviously I'm gonna to go to the job next, but how's life yeah, for so you now? Children, I can keep it briefly. Again, it's, it's, you, you've gotta show kids the type of effort you're willing to put into yourself. And, and in some way they realize that some of that effort comes in because you're doing it for them also. You're in their life permanently. Um, so my relationship with my kids, I'm happy. Um, my personal relationship, I am engaged to, uh, an amazing woman. Um, she's out of Baltimore, Maryland, uh, smart girl, far more athletic than I am, way more athletic than I am, uh, skates backwards better than I do. Uh, and in terms of friends and situation, like I said, I have some, I could say that I've, I, you could go to my friends and say, is he a different kind of person? And I'm a far better friend. I, I have learned empathy. That's the one greatest attribute that didn't exist in Aaron Ward before, I would say, even 2017, 2018. It took me a while to figure out how to be empathetic. 
and, and a good person and a good friend. And, and that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, job wise, uh, I have still some media outlets. I do a, a little bit of Sirius XM. I do, I've started doing some Toronto radio for Sportsnet. I have a daily show. I took over for Pierre Maguire in, uh, in Montreal and I do a daily show with Mitch Melnick, which is honestly one of the things that has gotten me through this process. I've been doing it since probably 2016 and I have a rapport and a relationship with those guys that is solid, that I feel like I, I get them. We understand what we want to do with his show and the time that he's got me on, whether we talk about um, hockey or we talk about life. And, and again, when we talk about coming out and having conversations, tough conversations about gambling and other things, that's actually been the platform because it's affiliated with Bell Media on the days where we have the Bell Let's Talk, I've had some doozies. I imagine, I imagine you have. Uh, you're working for SMT now, the data and analytics company. Is there any crossover there from somebody who used to gamble? Like, so you're around the game a lot. You're studying it. What made you a great analyst on TSN? But those maybe you were a very perceptive guy. You talked about winning and gambling a lot, although not in hockey. Tell us about your job with SMT, how that came about. But also, was there ever any concern about watching so much so much hockey? You know, could trigger anything? No. Yeah, I could. So I can address that one. I don't have even a twinge. Great. It's always a gambler and a gambler, but I don't have a twinge to or a desire to gamble. Uh, I went to Vegas for the all-star game. I was with SMT at that time. So I was in Vegas. I was in Vegas actually for a test of the player and puck tracking. And I was with people I worked with. They were in the casino. It didn't bug me. It's nothing about that life interests me. Gambling is, is of, of zero interest. How I came to work at SMT. Uh, I joke. Well, I don't joke. I was unhirable. I tried to get on with an NHL network. I gave them the whole story, exactly how we discussed it, and never heard back from them. Uh, I had an, I had a kind of a cup of coffee back again in 2017 with, with TSN. Um, did three months of work there and never heard from them again. And then uh, I finally decided that there's there's I've run out of options. So I had to get proactive. So there was a company in town called SMT, Sports Media Technology. You would know Sports Media Technology because they're – they're the innovator of the yellow line for football, the first down line, pitch FX, which is the baseball strike zone, the technology, you name it, they probably made it. Any any uh, ticker, anything on your TV, that's them. So I decided I had to be proactive. I had a friend in the business by the name of CJ Botita, who, who was working there at the time, and he got me an audience with the president of the company, not the CEO yet, but the president. So I met them at a, at a Mexican restaurant, popped my computer out, and she, and she was completely confused. And I presented my 24 page PowerPoint presentation of all the things I learned in sports media of being a broadcaster of visions I had for where it could go problems that I encountered and where improvements can be made. So she stopped me halfway through. She's like, don't waste this on me. Let's go. So I ended up going probably two miles down the road to the headquarters. They got Gerard Hall, the CEO, to sit down in the conference room, pop my presentation up. I got hired in the spot after getting through it. But at that point in 2016, there was really never a place for someone in the in, in the NHL world. So we hadn't really gotten to that place. So I worked for a, a good period of time on a biometrics platform for college football. 
uh, traveling to schools. Um, and again, like I, I, some of it was some experience, things I, I, I knew as an athlete that I thought uh, guys won't go for this or guys will go for this. And then when the PPT started to emerge, my role started to grow. And now I work not just only on the, the broadcast end of it. So there's, there's a deliverable that we have to broadcasters from our headquarters in Durham where we can put live data on, on screen where you see the name tags and you can put speeds and, and, and trails. But there's also a packaged video component where we can add graphics and, and virtuals to uh, a, a video and, and hand it to the truck. I also work with the analytics group. So I, I presented to all 32 teams this past pandemic, uh, a, 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 a analytics platform where it's all automated. Because it's infrared and there's tags in the players and tags in the puck, you're able to, I mean, there's, there's data points galore. And you can, you can create equation, whatever, whatever you want to do virtually now, you can do it. Uh, so I would tell you that, that I'm just kind of engrossed in anything that is technology related with the National Hockey League. And, and I love it, right? So for me, the same way I look at broadcast, I dive in and think of, oh, maybe we can improve on a graphic or, or maybe there's something that, that can, can work both at the coaching end and the broadcast end to, to, to better tell a story to a viewer without, you know, complicating what you see on the, on the, on the screen. Will you it in this off, off the next off season next summer or the one after that? Is there a point where you would reapproach or come up with a package or ask for a meeting with a, a network or even a regional sports network? I tried. Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, the the, the broadcast right. So, I in 2017 when I realized that TSN was was no longer in in the works, um, I attempted with Sportsnet just to even do fringe stuff for them. Uh, that didn't, that didn't work out, which is, which is fine. Now with the broadcast rights changing, I didn't get any communication on any level from, from ESPN, but I briefly had my, someone who represented me talk to, to Turner. I, I know a good number of people in Turner from working at SMT uh, and, and where they were interested in my role was the fact that I, as a former professional athlete, fully embrace technology, fully embrace analytics, where a lot of times as an athlete sitting on a, on a, on a panel, the last thing you want to do is be exposed for something you may not know or something screwing up that's outside of your control. So uh, I attempted, but I mean, clearly they, they, they made a good decision on, on what they have for a panel and uh, I'm back to what I was doing and, and, and throwing myself completely into advancing the products and the platforms that we have at SMT right now. I guess my, my, I'm just wondering, and I know this doesn't come easy, there's only so many of these jobs, but a, a return to TV, you know, maybe it's in a studio for the Hurricanes, maybe not even full-time. It's just like, it's a re-entry back into it. That's that's not available. I went to, so I went to the Canes back in 2016. I sat down with Don Waddell and in a similar manner that I created the, the hypothetical uh, position at SMT, I went to Don Waddell and said, hey, listen, I have a background in broadcast. I know this community because I've lived here since 2001. Uh, I'll work with the business community because I can talk to just about anybody and sell anybody on anything. What do you think? He said, let me think about it. And he thought about it for two months and gave the job to Eric Cole. So I knew that that position was not available. So... I, there's nothing. I, there's never once been any uh, opportunity in Carolina, and I I respect that. Um, so, opportunities elsewhere. Like I said, I 
What I do now, I think the only place that I could fit myself in, and it's difficult for North Carolina, is because I pay so much attention to the Montreal Canadiens on the level that I do, have, doing radio every single day, that ideally would be something I would really enjoy is to, is to impart knowledge and, and, since I know them so well, be part of that broadcast. But I, that's, a, again, a difficult sell at this point. So since you brought them up, uh, what is it that the Canadians, obviously they've hired Jeff Gordon, but what is it that the Canadians need to do to get better? Uh, um, so the underperforming... The, the difficulty with this team, and you reach back to, to Claude Julien and into Ducharme nowadays, there's nothing identifiable about this team. You can't grasp onto something. When I was a Boston Bruin and I went and I played against Kovalev and I played against Kostitsins and, and the Placanics, I knew they were going to outskate us every single game. And whatever we tried to do, they were going to continue that in, in that manner. So they played to that identity. Nowadays with this team, you can't you can't figure out who exactly they are and where they've gotten to now is, I mean, you can't outscore your mistakes. The Montreal Canadiens can absolutely not outscore the mistakes. They don't have the offense or the guys who are supposed to be scoring with that level of production. Um, and on D they're very porous. So the difficulty we have now as we watch the Montreal Canadiens is we judge the Montreal Canadiens by a team who made the Stanley cup finals last year. This is not the same team. When they came into this season, they brought in um, uh, Dvorak, they, uh, Hoffman. None of those guys we knew exactly what they were going to bring to the table, but you thought it was added depth, and it, it, it didn't translate. It, did, it didn't come to fruition. On D, without Weber, Edmondson is out because he's been injured for a while. Basically, the, the, the pressure's fallen on the shoulders of Sherratt, who's played pretty well, and Petrie, who by his I, by his admission, I guess would say is probably one of the worst seasons he's had in a very long time. There's a series of under, underperformers on this team. And when things are going wrong and you look back between the pipes and Carey Price did exactly what Carey Price should do is take care of yourself first. Montembeau and Allen aren't going to be able to mop up the mistakes that are happening in front of them. Are the Carolina Hurricanes, and we're, you know, we're not even at midseason yet, but are they a legitimate Stanley Cup contender this year? So I, I'm, I'm closer to saying yes, because when you started the season, it's the same answer I needed for the last five years. What are you doing in that? You couldn't sell Reimer, Nadalkovich, and Murazik as 1A or even a 1B to me. These guys were were backup goalies to me. If you're, if you legitimately think you're going to make a run, you've got to have a guy that's going to stand on his head consistently. So, I mean, if you, again, we go back, Kerry Price last year played over and above his, his, his expected saves through the roof for the playoffs. You need someone like that. Now, Anderson is now here. I'm a, I'm a, a, a little more of a believer that it can happen. I, I was reluctant when they got rid of Hamilton. I'm like, well, that's going to really upset the balance of that decor. Seems like they've been okay. So Carolina just has to figure out when the opponent brings a, a certain style that is is unfamiliar to them, how do they adapt? And I think that's the most recent losses. Teams are starting to figure something out against them. I'm not sure what, what that is exactly right now, or I'd probably be behind the bench. I got you. And then lastly, uh, you seemed uh, really uh, content and happy, and uh, everything that you've uh, that's happened, uh, you've gotten the, the proper care for it. 
and good yeah. friends. If you don't need to get back into NHL broadcasting, right? Like if it doesn't happen, are you okay with that? Or would it be a big disappointment? I don't know if, if we're dealing with transparency and honesty, the most fun, I, I, I will say this, this is a pretty lofty statement. I had more fun broadcasting hockey than playing the game. I don't know why. To me, there was a, a challenge. Hockey comes natural and it's fun. Broadcast, there's always a challenge of can, can you see something different? Can you impart to the audience? Can you tell them something they didn't know? Could you tell an interesting story? And no one expects that out of a former athlete, right? Someone who is intellectual can 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 use great big words and, and, and string them together. Expected. I like the surprise component of being a broadcaster saying, that guy taught me something as, as I as I turn my TV off and I go to bed. There will always be in the back of my mind a desire to do it. I would at the I I would do anything to get back in, in the broadcast game because I love it so much. What I'm doing currently does provide some level of satisfaction because it's indirectly related with it. I gotcha. Um, thank you so much for your honesty and, and candor and, and willingness to share your story. And and um, I, well, I don't know what else I could say, Aaron, but I appreciate you accepting the invitation and everything you, you did and, and talked about today. Thanks, bud. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hockey Press Pass with Aaron Ward and Chris Bonner. Stay tuned for a new episode coming out next week. And until then, from everybody here at the Hockey Press Pass family, this is Pat Boyle. Thanks so much, as always, for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of Hockey Press Pass. 